It is God who attaches real value to man. That's the lesson our teacher, Dr. J. Vernon McGee, says we're learning as we travel through the Old Testament book of Job. Welcome to Through the Bible. I'm Steve Schwetz, inviting you to hop aboard the Bible bus for another great adventure in God's Word. Now, today we're going to hear more about Job's losses, including his dignity and sense of worth. We'll begin in chapter 3, verse 13. So go ahead and turn there now. And as you do that, I want to share a few letters from our fellow Bible bus passengers. Today we're going to focus on those who join us in the language of Brazilian Portuguese. First, we've got Lucas in Rio de Janeiro who writes, I've been listening to your studies, and they have widened my heart and at the same time anchored it. As I deepen in the word, I feel as if my roots have grown every day. I certainly love those images, don't you? Now, here's an email. This one's from Marcia. I never liked to read the Old Testament. I thought it was very difficult. However, through your explanations, I am interested and want to know more. I'm grateful to God for giving me this chance to understand his word through such a clear and good program. May God bless you richly. And then Sergio writes us, In prison, I found God through your programs. I listen every day and learn something new. My spiritual growth has been significant, and I found myself a new person. Over time, I won the right to my freedom through the judicial process, and I do not want to turn away from the Word of God. I know your program will help me with that. And then Eliana tells us, Thank you for helping us to interpret the Word of God correctly and convey it to those who are not yet sure of it. May God guide and empower you more and more so that others may be guided. Aldo emailed us to say, I'm very happy with the programming because these studies enrich our faith and improve our knowledge about the kingdom of God. I have been listening for four years now, and every night at bedtime, my seven-year-old daughter says, Dad, I want to hear the word of God. She means she wants to listen to your program. God bless you for this and for all that you do. Our final email comes from Luciana. I really like your program. I was away from church, busy with day-to-day things, and my faith was getting cold. In December of last year, a sister in my church commented about your messages, and I began to listen. Since then, I have sought God more, studied His Word, and been in communion with family in the faith. I love to accompany your prayers before the program, and I ask the Lord to be fruitful in my life. May God keep blessing you as you share His Word with others. Well, aren't those encouraging? Keep praying for our brothers and sisters around the world, and now let's pray for our own hearts as we begin our study. Heavenly Father, thank you for your faithfulness in our lives. Thank you for your Spirit feeding our souls and guiding our paths. We ask that as we turn to your Word, Lord, that you would fill us with wisdom, with knowledge, and with truth. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen. Here's our study of Job 3 on Through the Bible with Dr. J. Vernon McGee. Now, friends, we have seen that this man, Job, is being made a test case. Shall we say it? He's a guinea pig. And Satan has challenged God. He says, this man, you put a hedge around him. He has everything. And you begin to take those things away from him, and he'll curse you to your face. He casts a slur upon mankind and upon God, a blasphemy. And the intelligences of heaven must have cringed and certainly blushed when they heard this highest creature that God had created, who's now fallen, cast this slur upon Almighty God. Now, God permitted Satan to get at this man, Job, and he began to move into this man's life, and we saw that he took one thing after another away from him. 
to break him down. And I think that probably I ought to pause right here before we come to this third chapter where we were listening last night to the complaint of Job. And see here the background of all of this again. The very interesting thing is that you and I today belong to a lost race. It's difficult to think that you and I living down here among a bunch of liars and cutthroats and thieves and murderers. And somebody says, but I'm not like that. I'm afraid that you are, and I'm afraid all of us are. We belong to that kind of race. And that's the reason God can't take us to heaven as we are. After all, if God took the world to heaven as it is today, you wouldn't have anything but just the world all over again. Now, I don't know about you, but I see no reason to duplicate it. And God apparently sees no reason, and therefore he's not taking us to heaven as we are. That's the reason the Lord Jesus had to say, to a refined, polished, religious Pharisee, you must be born again. Now, if it's any comfort to any of us, we're all in the same boat. And we talk about normal behavior today. The psychologist is great at that. And how in the world does he arrive at normal behavior? Well, what he does, he plots a chart. And where the majority of people are, that's normal. One end is abnormal, the other end is supernormal. And that's where the few are at either end. But who said the middle is normal? I don't think it is. We're all in sin today. Now, this creature called man is frail, he's feeble, and he's faulty. It's easy to upset the equilibrium of any man. It can happen to any of us. It's easy to depart from the pattern, to tip the scale. And someone has said that one out of ten people spend time in a mental institution. It's hard for me to believe that's true, but that's the statistic given to me. Now, God has placed about man certain props to make man stand straight and upright. The book of Ecclesiastes puts it like this in Ecclesiastes 7.29. God has made man upright but they seek out many devices, many inventions. Now he's clothed man with an armor protection, a security, if you please. God has given to all men, godly and ungodly, certain aids. He makes it rain on the just and unjust. The wicked get just as much sunshine and air to breathe, and their health is just as good as those that are the godly, those that are Christ today. Now, the devil knows that if he can get to a man, remove the props, strip man of every vestige of aid, take away his soft garment of security, take away his blanket, he can upset man and turn him upside down, destroy his morale, rearrange his thinking, brainwash him. And therefore, God's placed about a man a hedge to keep the devil away. Now, sometimes the devil is permitted to crash the gate, and he'll strip a man down to his naked soul. And God permitted the devil to brainwash Job. The book of Job presents the problem, states the stripping of a man's soul, not the solution. You must go to the New Testament for the real answer there suggested in this book. 
it's sort of like the algebra book I had at school. The problems were in the front. The answers were in the back of the book. And the Bible is like that. You get the problem here, you turn over to the New Testament, you get the answer. Now, the Old Testament, in many respects, is a very unsatisfactory book, by the way. Nothing actually solved that. And as someone has put it, the Old Testament is expectation. The New Testament is realization. Now, just watch for a moment. As far as we've come now, the devil has been brainwashing Job. He strips Job of every vestige of covering. Let's look at that for a moment, because it's going to help us now as we enter this dialogue that Job has with his friends. One of the basic needs of man is material substance. You see, an animal is already born with a coat on. You and I, when we're little, somebody, especially our parents, have to get us a coat. And later on, you and I have to buy a coat, food and clothing and shelter. Animal can stand out in the weather. Man can't. And therefore, man needs to have barns and flocks and herds and lands, and he needs to have things about him, needs to have a home. And we're told in Scripture, he's given us richly all things to enjoy. And God wants man to enjoy the things that he's put in this world. Although the curse of sin is on it, God has provided for man in a very wonderful way. Now, physical things actually can be spiritual blessings. Prosperity is God's gift. And there's nothing wrong in building bigger barns. The danger lies in depending upon these things, leaning upon them as if that's all there is to life. And actually, I think that Today, the prosperity and the affluence of the United States has been giving us a bad conscience for a long time. And we've spent billions of dollars out yonder passing out crumbs in order that we might enjoy what we've got. And it hasn't been to any avail because all we're doing is saving a bad conscience. Now, many articles today are been written comparing us to the rest of the world. Well, our gadgets and our conveniences and our comforts actually have been creating a prison for us. I'm amazed today during a holiday weekend how everybody tries to get away from their push buttons. They try to get away from their electric blanket, their TV set, and from all of the nice gadgets they have in the kitchen and go way out in the desert out here in California. They beat it for the desert or down at the seashore. They want to rough it, they say. What do they mean? Well, they feel like they're in prison. And actually, the Christian needs to get alone to take an inventory. Am I trusting in the things or am I trusting in God? Now, Job lost all. He went from prosperity to poverty. And Job was moved, but he wasn't removed from the foundation. Then the second thing that happened to him that God permitted and the devil did, he took away his loved ones. And you and I need loved ones to prop us up when we're a little child, a little baby. That's the reason that the Lord makes babies so attractive, so we cuddle them and hug them. How wonderful it is. My, the greatest thrill I ever had in my life was holding my arms, my first child, and I lost that child. And the greatest thrill I have today is 
holding our little old grandson. God's made us that way. Now, when you begin to grow up, the child goes to the parents for love and sympathy. Hurts his little finger, and he runs in and has his mama kiss it. And now you know that doesn't do it a bit of good. Sure helps, though. Now, without these, the child develops conflicts and complexes. The psychologist, I think, is right about that. And as a child grows to adulthood, into the teens, a dear lady called me the other day, and she's disturbed because her two teenage boys don't listen to her anymore. Well, she hasn't discovered that God made them that way because he's getting ready to push the little eaglets out of the nest, be on their own. And then one day, love's transferred to somebody else and then transferred to one's own children. Now, Job lost his children, seven sons, three daughters. And then there's something else that is a great factor in the well-being of man, that's health. And today, I notice in the paper, so many suicides. And they say so-and-so was in ill health. But there's countless numbers, though, of saints today that are laid aside, bedridden. And those folk probably have learned to trust God in a way that you and I have not learned to trust God. And so the devil took away the health of Job. That was a great blow to him. And then he moved and took away the love and sympathy of a companion. Now, God gave Adam a helpmeet. And a helpmeet means the other half of him, the responder, the other part of him. And I think God has a rib for every man. That is, he has a wife. And God has instituted marriage for the welfare and happiness of man. And many a man who stands at the forge of life today, faithful and strong, and he faces the battle and the daily grind, and he's brave and true. But when he goes home, he pillows his head on the breast and the lap of a wife who understands him and maybe even sobs out his soul. No Samson was ever weaker in the lap of a Deliah than the man who has a good wife, and he's able to pill his head upon her. Oh, how wonderful that is. Now, Job's lost the sympathy of his wife. We've seen that. Now, his friends have come to mourn with him, and he's going to find out that they were just a mirage on the desert. When he saw them coming, he thought it was an oasis, but it was a mirage. And he finally calls them miserable comforters. We're going to see why. Now, what else can the devil do to Job? Well, he's destroyed the whole set of values. And now he moves in, and this is the thing we want to watch now. He loses his sense of the worth and dignity of his own personality. What shall a man give in exchange for his soul? God pity young people today that throw away their life for a little pill or to please a group of evil-minded companions. It's only God today that really attaches a value to man. The Lord Jesus said, You are of more value than sparrows. You know why? Because he died for us. And that's how much we're worth, the blood of Christ. And it was during the dark ages that a very brilliant scholar fell sick and was picked up on the highway. And the doctors thought he was a bum. And they began to talk. They said, Shall we operate on this worthless creature? And they were speaking in Latin. 
and Muritus was the scholar. And he'd understood them. He raised up and answered them in Latin, and he says, Do not call a creature worthless for whom Christ died. And so the devil tries to cause us to lose the worth and dignity of our own personality. And then Job is going to lose his sense of the justice of God. And he'll become critical and cynical before it's over. And we need to recognize here that there's a great deal in the book of Job that is inspired. It's all inspired. But that doesn't necessarily mean that it's true. This is what I mean. The devil was not inspired to tell a lie to Eve. But the record that tells us that he lied when he did it, that record is what is inspired. And some people say just because it's in the Bible, that means that it's true. Let's find out who says it. And in the book of Job, we need to be very careful about that. Now he lost also his sense of the love of God. And finally, he couldn't cry out, though he slay me, yet will I trust him. Well, we'll have to go to the New Testament and we'll look there before we finish the book of Job in order to get the answer. For there is one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. And that's the answer to Job's cry. Oh, that there were a daysman to stand between us. Job said if there was only someone that could take hold to the hand of God and take hold of my hand and bring us together. And there is someone today. Now, I've spent time on this because it's very, very important, friends, to get this background to understand the dialogue that's going on. Now, we got down last time to Job 3, verse 14. Now, he has pictured death here as annihilation. All sleep equally, kings and counselors of the earth, which build desolate places for themselves, great pyramids, great monuments, but they're on the same par. And he complains that this oblivion is denied him. Actually, there are two things that Job is saying in this third chapter. He wishes he'd never been born. And having been born, he wished he'd died at birth. Those are the two things, and he finds no relief, therefore. And it's quite dramatic, and this is wonderful language that you read through here. And I begin reading at verse 14. With kings and counselors of the earth, which built desolate places for themselves, are with princes that had gold, who fill their houses with silver, are as a hidden untimely birth, I had not been as infants which never saw light. He says, I wish I'd been stillborn, that I hadn't come into this world. He says, there the wicked cease from troubling, and there the weary be at rest. There the prisoners rest together. They hear not the voice of the oppressor. In other words, he pictures death as being preferred to life. Now, he's come pretty far down, as you can see. He says, the small and great are there. And the servant is free from his master. Wherefore is light given to him that is in misery, and life unto the bitter in soul. He said, life is such a burden. I don't want to live it. I want to die. And he goes on, verse 21, which long for death, but it cometh not, and dig for it more than for hid treasures. Why, this man Job says, I'd welcome death more than a miner digging for gold, 
And when the miner finds the gold, it's a shout, you know. And Job says, well, if I could just die, I'd want to shout about that. And listen to him, verse 23, Why is light given to a man whose way is hidden, and whom God hath hedged in? For my sighing cometh before I eat, my roarings are poured out like the waters. This poor man is in a desperate, desolate condition. Now, he says, for the thing which I greatly feared is come upon me, and that which I was afraid of is come unto me. Now, when Job was dwelling in peace and prosperity, yonder in the land of us, and things were going so well with him, and he was living in the lap of luxury, and everyone was saying, my, I tell you, he's certainly having it wonderful. Job says at that very moment that I was sitting in the lap of luxury, I dreaded, I was afraid that this thing that's happened to me might come to me. And I think that's the fear today of a great many people. Fear that something terrible is going to happen to them. And therefore, we grab for the blanket instead of grabbing for the Savior. Most of us ought to be using a Bible for our blanket and not be turning today to other things. Need to rest upon the Word of God. And this man Job says, Finally, I was not in safety, neither had I rest, neither was I quiet. Yet trouble came. Troubles come to him now. And this man, you almost get the impression here that at the very beginning he's lost his faith. But he actually hasn't. This is a complaint. This is the bitter complaint of a man that's now tasting the dregs that are in the bottom of the cup of life, of trouble that has come upon him. And he doesn't understand at all why it should come. Now, there are his three friends. They're sitting there. They've been sitting for seven days, and they've been wagging their head. They've been, you know, mm-hmm, you finally got caught up with. Well, 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 it finally came to you. And so Job could take everything else, but he can't take this from his friends. And so he broke out in this monologue of complaint, of whining. And it's tremendous, but it does not have the answer at all. It is black pessimism. Now his three friends are going to begin to talk to him. And the first one will be Eliphaz. And he will speak to Job. And then Job will answer him. And then Bildad, the second one, and Job will answer him. And then Zophar will speak, and Job will answer him. Now, I'm going to give just a pen picture of these men next time as we look at the discourse of Eliphaz. But to me, it's quite interesting, the meaning of these men's name. Eliphaz means God is strength, or God is is fine gold. And he gives three speeches here. And we'll see the background of this man and what he has in mind. Then Bildad, and his name means he's a son of contention. He's a mean one, by the way. Actually, he's brutal and blunt and crude in his method. His name means son of contention. And then Zophar means a sparrow. That means he twitters. And he's got a mean tongue also. And he makes terrible insinuations to Job. We'll pick up there next time 
as we take up the discourse of Eliphaz in chapter 4. May the Lord richly bless you, my beloved. Well, it looks as if Job is in a very difficult time with his three friends. I hope that you'll join us next time for another exciting journey on the Bible bus. If you'd like to invite someone to hop on board with you, or if you'd like to listen to any of these messages again, visit us at ttb.org forward slash Job, or download our app for both iPhone and Android. Well, that's also the place where you can download Dr. McGee's notes and outlines for our study in Job. It's over at ttb.org, or you can get them straight from the app itself. If you prefer to get a free copy of Briefing the Bible that contains all of Dr. McGee's notes and outlines in a single resource, you can request yours by calling 1-800-65-BIBLE, or you can download a PDF version by going to ttb.org forward slash Briefing the Bible, all one word. Or again, call us at 1-800-65-BIBLE. Well, that's all for now. I'm Steve Schwetz, and I'll see you next time when the Bible bus comes back by your way. Or hop aboard anytime, any day, through any of our digital resources. We live in a great day to study God's Word together. Through the Bible exists to take God's whole word to the whole world. And we invite you to stand with us with your faithful prayer and financial support. Where will God's word go today?